In our New Testament lesson today, taken from the book of Revelation 3, reading verses 7 to 22. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word, and you've not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and to bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. And let's bow once more in prayer today as we approach uh, the word of the Lord together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to sit before it, to sit at the feet of Jesus. 
We pray now that your word would make uh, an entrance into our hearts and give us light. We pray for the instruction of your Holy Spirit. We recognize the authority of your word, and we pray that it would search us and know us, that it would see if there be any wicked way in us, and that it would truly lead us in the way everlasting. And now, Holy Father, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I think that we can all relate. I'm, I'm going to, uh, to speak today on the latter half of our passage on the words of the Spirit to the church at Laodicea. And I think that we can all relate to the uh, unpleasant experience of expecting something to be hot and the rather uh, uh, unanticipated sensation, expecting something steaming, to find something rather lame and limp and uh, lukewarm. It's not a very pleasant experience. In the 90s, there was a rage, a craze, to have these large coffee mugs. They were massive. They were like two pints of coffee that you could fit in them. And uh, the problem was that you couldn't get a quarter way down this cup and, uh, until you find that the coffee had grown tepid. It had grown lukewarm. And lukewarm coffee simply isn't worth drinking. It's probably why, where's Corey? It's probably why, Corey, we should all be drinking those little white cups of espresso because it stays hot until the end. And dear church, there's something very important today that the Lord has to say to each one of us about staying hot until the very end. When Peter was writing his second letter to the church uh, towards the end of his life, probably written from a Roman prison, as the apostle reflected in the Lord's words to him about the end of his life, that when he was old, he would be dressed by others and taken by others where he did not want to go. As he thought about his approaching end and about his death, Peter's expressed concern was that he and the church that he was writing to would stay hot, white hot for the Lord. And in the first chapter of 2 Peter, Peter continues to repeat a number of the same phrases that reflect this concentrated and determined zeal for God. Peter is intent on being a living flame. And he, he repeats these, these phrases. He says, make every effort to increase your faith, to add to your faith. Be all the more diligent, he says, to make your calling and your election sure. And then he says, even, even I myself, I make every effort so that when I'm gone, you might be firmly persuaded of the incomparable value of Jesus. Be diligent. Make every effort and follow me as I myself make every effort. And even though Peter states this at the end of his life, the religion of Yahweh has always been the religion of flame. It has always been the religion of heat, of intense devotion and zeal and abandonment. Moses, God says, this place is holy ground. Regard it, Moses. Honor it, Moses. Be serious about it, Moses. Take off your sandals and come no closer. And the word zeal today has fallen on hard times. We, we can hardly use it 
without the uh, disapproving glance of society around us. But God wants zealous worshipers, those who are servants of the secret fire, those who bear the sign of the flickering tongue of, of a flame on their foreheads, those who offer to God acceptable worship with awe and with fear because they know that God is a consuming fire. But then today we have this church at Laodicea. Laodicea was a wealthy city and the church at Laodicea was filled with very wealthy people. It's part of their confession about themselves. They said, we are rich, we have prospered, and we have need of nothing. And the thing about prosperity, the thing about wealth, the thing about things, is that these so-called riches have afflicted God's people from the beginning. They afflict with the disease of indifference. They afflict with the, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the coldness of a heart. And before long, the reality of God's kingdom becomes distant to us. And we, becomes, we become so easily unenthused and dispassionate, half-hearted, muted, ineffective. We become lukewarm through stuff, <laughs> the asbestos of the soul. And I think for all of us today, it would do us very well to hear our Lord's words. How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Wealth in scripture is a dangerous thing. Our call to worship today from Hosea 13. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled and their heart was lifted up. And they forgot me. It is not just the danger of money. It's this whole age of materialism that we're sunk in. It's this age of stuff. It's the gadgets and the technology and the fashion and the comforts. Craft this and craft that. It's entertainment galore. In fact, so much entertainment, such a, a deluge of entertainment, such a rabid devotion to the newest TV series, the newest films, the newest blockbuster, the pantheon of the Hollywood gods. Men and women who flock to, to IMDb, the modern altar of the age where we give our sacrifice of time to the gods of beauty and fame. There's so much stuff, there's so much there to keep us from God. So much to pamper our lust for sensuality, the craving to satisfy our five senses. There's so much of it there that we have a very difficult time to find the opportunity to feed our faith. That experience, which is not about the senses, but is the conviction of those things that we can't see. And so the Bible says to us that the created order can swell to such a degree that it obscures the creator. That which is made fills our vision and blinds the maker. The gift becomes inordinately important to us so that we forget the giver. Now, I don't mean to be iconoclastic here, and I certainly don't mean to be a Gnostic. Matter matters. Matter is good, 
But for many of us today, the danger is all too real. And the danger has been all too real in weeks past. Rather than using the world to fan into flame our devotion to the one who made it, we use it like an opiate. And we lie down in our bed and we slip into this dreamy forgetfulness of God. And we're stuck in this false dream where the voice of God is distant. How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. You'll notice today if you look at your text in verse 14 that Jesus in, uh, proclaims himself as the one who stands in complete contradistinction to the failure and to the collapse of the Laodicean church. Jesus is the Amen. Jesus is the faithful and true witness. Jesus is the beginning of God's creation. Jesus is the Amen. That is, Jesus is the yes to all of God's promises. Jesus is the yes to God. He's not only the fulfillment of all of God's promises, but Jesus is one great yes to God. That is to say, Jesus exemplifies what it means to live. Jesus says to truly live is to say amen to all that God is and all that God has and to all that God commands. Just like the hymnist wrote, let the amen. Let it sound from God's people again and gladly for a forever we will adore him. Let the people of God live their lives as an enthusiastic yes to God. A shout of let it happen, God. Let it be, God. That is Jesus. And that is his life, this ecstatic response to the Father. But Jesus is also the true and the faithful witness we read. Jesus' life, that is, reflects the reality of God perfectly. Jesus didn't come with his own idiosyncratic word. Jesus didn't come with his own message. He says in John 17, Father, I've given them your word. Father, I glorified you, and now they know that everything that you've given me, Father, it's from you. I made known to them your name. Father, and I will continue to make it known. Jesus is the witness. Jesus is the testimony. His life is the only infallible testimony to the goodness and the glory and the judgment of God. And his life, his whole life, was spent directing those around him to the Father. He was a beacon. He was a sign saying, not me, but the Father through me. Jesus was surrounded by other things, but he so reveled in God that the created order and all that was around him just became signs to point to his Father. Consider the lilies, he says. Consider the birds and the ravens, he says. Consider how good my Father is. Everything about Jesus pointed to God. He is the perfect witness. And Jesus is the beginning, we read, of God's creation. One of the hardest things for us today, 
One of the most difficult things for us to surrender to is this truth. It's what John wrote in his epistle, that the world as we see it now, the trees, the rocks, the stones, the rivers, the cities and all of their splendor, all of their monuments, it's all passing away. All of its desires, all of its goals, it's all going to nothing. It's hard for us. It's hard for us to live our lives and to reconcile ourselves to this fact, as Peter puts it in 2 Peter 3, that the heavenly bodies, even all these beautiful stars, all of these planets that seem so enduring and so far off and so untouchable, they will melt as they burn. The heavens, says Peter, are going to be dissolved. And see, the promise of the gospel is not just a new way of thinking about life. The promise of the gospel is not just a new way to behave. It's not even merely forgiveness and reconciliation. The gospel comes to us and says this, there is a new heaven and there is a new earth. There is going to be a new creation and there indeed is a new creation that at every level, in every way is perfect. No sin. No violence, no loneliness, no more selfishness, no crime, no want, no anxiety, no haunting fears, no hurt. God, the gospel says, is going to make all things new. Behold, he says in Isaiah 65, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former things will not be remembered. I do something new, he says through the gospel. And he's already begun. Christ Jesus is the firstborn of this new creation and he is leading us and he is transforming us along the way to enter into this new country. And the gospel comes to us today and it tells us that there is no good thing in this present life, whether it's vocation or pleasure or companionship or adventure. There is not one good gift here that will not be exceeded 10 million times in the new life. Paul says that the weight of glory that is there waiting for us, that is even now descending, that eternal weight of glory, he says, is beyond all comparison. You can't even dream of what this is, he says. And all these things, therefore, here, says Paul, all these things that you go through on a day-to-day basis, they're all transient. All of them. They're all ephemeral, they're ghostly, he says. They're they're thin, they're wispy, they're mist. But what's coming, says Paul, is the real thing. It's the thing that's going to last forever. And therefore, says Paul, it's worth fighting for. It's worth giving up everything for. It's worth throwing everything away that's hindering you in order to possess it. And so, my dear brothers, when we consider Jesus, when we think of our elder brother, when we consider him as the great yes to God, when we consider the Lord as the constant testimony of God's glory and worth, when we think of Jesus as the beginning 
and the evidence of a new creation that is infinitely better than what we now enjoy. When we consider the Lord in this way, white, hot, in his dedication to what is most real and to what is most important. Well, how very lukewarm we can seem in comparison to him. We who are so drugged and so very pleased with the fleeting pleasures of this age, we who are so contented easily, far too easily contented with our present riches, and who can find it such a chore to devote our time and our energies to God. We can spend hours watching TV. We can spend hours shopping. We can spend hours on the ski hill, but just half an hour on our knees seems torturous and too much. The truth is many of us are tepid. We're not white hot. We're not zealous, we're lukewarm. And the lure of this present age has deceived us time and again. And we can think that we're so very clever, rich and cultured and savvy. And we do not see that in the presence of the amen, in the presence of the true witness, in the presence of the firstborn, we are wretched, we are pitiable, we are poor, we are blind and we are naked. And the scripture comes to us today and he says the Lord has no use for half-heartedness. I will spit you out of my mouth. Laodicea had a problem with water. Two neighbors beside it, one had a fresh source of cold water with many health benefits. One had a fresh source of hot water with many health benefits. Laodicea had to have its water piped to it. By the time it got there, it was lukewarm. And anybody in the ancient world knew you don't drink lukewarm water. It's of no value to you. The Lord says, I have no value in a lukewarm servant. Because my kingdom, he says, is of such value. My kingdom is so valuable that if you are looking at it rightly, It will captivate you with strong desire. And so lukewarmness means you do not see. You are not seeing the kingdom. Absence of zeal means that you do not comprehend. You have not seen the gospel. And church, the Lord loves you too much to let you wander in blindness, to squander your lives on things that are misty and vaporous, and because he loves you, he calls you to repent. Be zealous, he says. Repent, he says. Change your mind, he says. Change your attitude, change your approach. Change your behavior, how you live your day. Change it, he says. How you spend your time, change your priorities. Change your relationships. Change your aspirations. Hear my voice, he says today. Turn around and live. 
The Lord challenges all of us today because he loves us. He disciplines us with a hard word because he doesn't want us to hold on to something that is decaying and rotting and falling apart, but he wants us to grab that which has everlasting thickness and substance and weight and treasure in God. And so today he says, today, if you hear my voice, if you hear my voice today, do not harden your hearts. Listen to me. Surrender to me. Turn your back on the mist. Turn your back on the vapor and give yourself to the substance. Give yourself to the weight. Give yourself to the thickness of God. And so Jesus stands at all of our hearts today and he knocks. And he says, in a land of shadows and decoys, I've come to you with the real thing. In a land of shadows and vapors, I offer you pure things. I offer you refined things. I offer you everlasting things that will never fail you. And he says, if you'll only listen to me, if you'll just open to me today, I will give you the maker. I will give you the creator. I will give you the giver. If you open your heart to me, I will enter in. And I will show you in ways that you could not have dreamed that the maker is so much better than what he has made. That the creator is so much better than what he has created. That the giver is infinitely better than the gifts he lavishes us with. I will give you the Lord's joy unspeakable. And if you look to me, I will make you radiant. Joy unspeakable and full, overflowing plenitude of glory. Those who look to the Lord are radiant. And so the psalmist says, won't you taste? <laughs> won't you see? The Lord is good. He's so much better than the things he has made. And if you'll pause today and if you feel the Lord knocking on your heart, if you find any degree faith welling up in your heart, would you please pray with me quietly as we bow together and in your heart say to God, Lord Jesus Christ, you who stand at the door and knock, I open today my heart to you. Anoint my eyes so that I can see. Clothe me so that the shame of my sin may be no more seen. And give me the gold of your kingdom so that I may truly be rich forever. I repent. I turn. I yield. I call upon you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.